Welcome to episode 45 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And Daz, I don't, we haven't done a podcast for a, uh, just over a week, week and a half, I think it's been, since we last spoke. But look, I wanted to get your uh, thoughts straight away, straight off the bat, Daz. We've had big news today for basketball fans in Australia. And I didn't even talk about this off, off air, it's just popped into my head now. But the Team USA coming out in 2019 as preparations for the FIBA World Cup down in Melbourne. Uh, I've put the road trip, I've sort of already sorted out the Daz and Daz road trip, but how excited are you about this? Look, it's awesome. Look, I think this is, I'd have no idea if this is related to the developments in the NBL with the whatever they call it, the rising well, it is, stars. Yes, the, it definitely yeah. is. So I'll just quickly stop here because I yeah. saw the, the head of the NBL was interviewed today as part of the grand final. I watched uh, game two of the grand final today and Adelaide uh, even the series up at one all. Easy win for them today. So that's going to go to the deciding game now. But he said that they've been, since they reformed the league about five years ago, they automatically one of the first things they did was form a close relationship with the NBA and they've been slowly developing that over time and that's now seeing its fruit with the uh, the Next Stars program as well as uh, this plan to bring the NBA uh, stars out here through Team USA and of course with Greg Popovich coaching so this is the NBA is definitely on board with this uh, and it, it is something that they've done hand in hand with them so and that's also I think that's interesting from the Next Stars point of view too just how hands-on the NBA are to this because I think the NBA are sick and tired of the way the NCAA are doing things as well so they are certainly given the green light to that Next Stars program as well as Team USA coming in in 2019. And don't underestimate I think the more subtle things here is we especially in the social media world and we we see how tight and how close these guys are that the whatever the 15 guys on Team USA come here and have a um, a week or two experience, don't underestimate the power of them going back and saying, hey, you know what, this Melbourne city, this this is pretty cool. It's actually really big, right? So I think mm. just that, not just for us here in Australia to get exposed to it and, you know, have the the Melbourne team, you know, play against Team USA is, team USA is a bit of a measuring stick. Um, I think it's probably, that, that for me is the biggest benefit is the boys coming back and saying, hey, you know what, there's a global city down here, it's pretty fun, it's pretty cool, and fuck, compared to Oklahoma City or Milwaukee or Indianapolis or, you know, heck, probably 10 or a dozen NBA cities, um, you know, there's a lot going on down here. So well, it is, super, the, it is going to yeah. be the Australian national team too, so you're going to have the likes of Joe Oh, I, I thought it was, um, I thought it was just the Melbourne NBA No, team. no, oh, so I didn't even read it is the national oh. team, so... Oh. So it's even better. So you're going to have Paddy Mills, uh, Joe Ingalls, uh, well, Ben Simmons, um, just try, Dante Exum. He he came back today and actually looked pretty good for the Jazz. So hopefully he'll come out as well. He'll be fully healthy. So it's going to be Australia's best team as well. Oh, um, they're going to slaughter this Team USA because the Team USA, right, is, you know, it's a bit of the, you know, it's young guys. It's going to be a mixture. Yeah, G- you're right. Yeah, it's G League, probably G League level talent, right? So... They're going to get smoked, <laughs> and uh, I'm now I'm okay. Now I'm in for the road trip, Daz. I was a little bit skeptical. I'm like, I don't know the was it the Melbourne Glory, the Melbourne Glory Hole. What do they call no, the, it? the NBL? Um, oh, the Mel. They were the Dragons, but they're not the Dragons anymore. I just call yeah, them see, Melbourne. We, we got to learn our we got to learn our mascots <laughs> here. So I got to say, I wasn't super excited about that, but now I'm. If it's the national team, I'd love to see the national team. Um, speaking of national team, a little bit of news 
just flashed across my screen today is um, Mr. Unemployed Math Teacher himself, Joe Ingalls, has just set the Utah franchise record for most three-pointers made in the season yes. with 179. He did. So and he's officially – yeah, it was a big shot too because they were they were behind in the game with about two minutes to go when he hit the shot. I was watching the game. Nice, yeah. So whilst you know, whilst some things go up, other things go down. Phoenix forwards Marquis Chris and Jared Dudley each fined twenty five thousand dollars for a shoving incident in the game against Utah today. And I go, why they're getting fired up in a game they lost one sixteen to eighty eight is beyond me. And why you'd have a problem with Ricky Rubio? which is where the flagrant two sort of Well, I think you know, it was happened. just Dudley came off the bench and was just sick of the lack of effort and lack of intensity and said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to close line Ricky Rubio. Yeah. I don't, I I don't think it had, well, it had a bit of an impact. They led Golden State for a little bit today and then uh, promptly fell the pieces. That's a Golden State without Clay Thompson, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Golden State in the end won easily. So that's, that shows you where yeah. the are at the moment. Yeah. So, sorry, I jumped the gun. Yay, yay, Team USA in Australia. Yay, Joe Ingles, a franchise record holder now, and and boo, boo, Phoenix Suns. <laughs> Boy, have we heard that before, dearie me. Well, so. look, as we might, so we might look at uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the, the good this week that I wanted to start on really was looking at the top of, of both conferences, and I think... We've really now reached a point where the number one seeds are set in both conferences. Uh, and I want to start in the East because it feels it's starting to feel more and more as this Eastern Conference season goes on and we get close to the playoffs. This really is just a fact of it's going to be Toronto versus Toronto because I think the only team that can beat the Raptors is the Raptors themselves. Does it feel like that to you? I mean, if, if they turn up and play to their potential and play to what they've shown in the regular season, I can't see a team that's going to uh, to to beat them. I can certainly see a team maybe pushing them six, seven games, but I can't see a team in the East that, that can beat them. But do you see it the same way? So the ever-present dialogue is, uh, I still hear it. I still hear it on the Ringer pod. You still hear it on Dunked and Danny, where in hosts and Kevin Arnovitz, and everyone's still, even Kevin Arnovitz, still hesitant to bet against LeBron when overwhelming amounts of evidence are to suggest that the Cleveland Cavaliers aren't anywhere near right what they were last year and the stuff they've done at the trade deadline. You know, it's taken time. It's going to take time to develop and and you know Rodney Hill. Rodney, sorry, Rodney Hill. That's the, that's the hybrid the George hybrid. Hill, Rodney Hood. Yeah. <laughs> Rohai, Roho. He's missing time and, you know, little niggles here and there. It's just not exactly what you need when a team's trying to come together. So I don't know about you, Daz, but this waiting for Kevin Love, who's coming out saying he's been suffering with, right, anxiety and I don't think he said depression, but, you know, the, the, the mental load of of the season and the pressure and, and the things that he's been through and sort of admitting to that. And it's not exactly boosting his team full of confidence. So I don't think the, I don't think we can expect Cleveland to get a shot of adrenaline from Kevin Love to sort of take them from a middling four seed to a, a threat to Toronto. I just don't see it unless LeBron does something we've never seen. So it's hard not to write off the Cavs, especially over seven games. 
and then the Celtics have kind of right. They've they've been play, basically playing 500 ball for the last two months. Um, still proving that they've got an unbelievable coach, an unbelievable depth. And now they're without Marcus Smart for the next couple of months. Probably they're saying he could perhaps return by the end of the first round at the earliest after he's had thumb surgery. And Jalen Brown's had a really bad concussion. So he's been out a week and he's probably going to, I said he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. So that's a significant amount of time. And then, um, what's his name? D- Daniel Teese also missed time. Well, he's, Actually, sorry, he, you know, he's out for the season, which all of a sudden, you know, he was, he was playing a kind of a key a rotation role. And now it's going to fall on Greg Monroe, who actually had sort of taken a, you know, a third string seat. So just his style isn't fitting in their, in the, into their style. So you're looking at right. Obviously with Gordon out and Kyrie's trying to rest a knee. And so Kyrie's not playing every day. You're suddenly got heavy, heavy loads being carried by the likes of Terry Rozier and, and Marcus Morris and and the and you know and Al Horford and that sort of thing. So that's all. That's a roundabout way of saying Boston's dinged. Their depth has taken a, a hit, and it's it's remarkable that Stevens still has them playing the way they are. So it's just hard to see them having the firepower over seven games unless you've got supremely optimized. You know, Kyrie and Rozier and Marcus Smart comes back to be a, you know, I could see Marcus Smart as, as, as awful as he is offensively. He's the guy you want in seven games to get in DeRozan's jock and to get in Kyle Lowry's jock, right, and just disrupt playmaking at the top. So if Marcus Smart, I believe I can't believe I'm saying because I've not, not been a fan of his game, obviously, for quite a while. But um, he's critically important in the playoffs. Well, he's so, there, Roberson, on the defensive end. Isn't he's he? there, Roberson. For, for, okay, from the right. OKC point of view. Well, he's also a bit of their heart and soul. He also plays a little bit of the Draymond role, right, where he just changes the energy of the team. Yep. You know, Kyrie's got his Kyrie way. Kyrie keeps quiet, and he'll, and he'll just he'll make the defenses, he'll make other teams, you know, go ghastly white with his handle and his playmaking, right? But... Marcus Smart is the energy, the slap in the floor, the getting the jock, the change the change the course of a game when shit gets hard. So that's a long way of saying that. Um, I don't believe anything in Washington, Indiana, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, or Miami. So it's for me, it's the three teams. I don't think any of those bottom bottom six teams have sorry bottom five teams anyway have any chance in the Eastern Conference Finals. I really don't. That includes John Wall's Wizards. That includes my pathetic Bucks. That includes the the pretender Sixers, and yeah, the Pacers are a nice story, but you know, they'll get exposed. Game plan for Oladipo and throw tons of, tons of stuff at him. They just don't have enough scoring. So, yeah, that's I, a way of saying. I think with Indiana, you're already seeing that too. Oladipo hasn't been that great the last sort of couple of weeks because uh, I've gone into my fantasy playoffs with him and sort of been watching his box scores pretty closely. So they've still been winning credit to Indiana and, and Oladipo's still been contributing but he's not scoring it to the level that he was scoring early in the year and that's where they really need him to be, no. be successful in the playoffs. And they've had a really fair bit of luck you'd say right with the one possession victories in the last week three point victory against the yep. Sixers, two points against the Celtics and my a three-point eking it out, grind it out against the Bucks, and a three-point victory against the Wizards again. So they just—they've gotten really lucky. It doesn't mean they're not executing. They're—they're—they're they're, they're strong, and they don't have tons of flaws. I just think they're trading on—they're on a bit of borrowed time. So all those things are adding up to when you're gonna—you'll probably draw the the arc here between 
you know, the top two teams in, in the conferences. But there's no doubt that we've been talking about Dwayne Casey and their depth ad infinitum about Toronto. The reality is they're healthy. They're the healthiest team in the East, right? Um, similarly with Houston, they don't have any major pieces missing. And as you already pointed out, Golden State's losing their stars. Boston's depth is, is depleted. Cleveland is in and out. And if they don't have love, they don't have a chance. And, you know, Wall's in and out. And, again, the Bucks' depth has been killed. So then their, their starters are just they're just being ridden too hard. So I, it's impossible to, at this point, um, I'm not given any, unless I see something dramatically different, I'm, I'm saying it. I go, Cleveland have no shot against Toronto in a seven-game series unless Toronto again loses their fucking minds, which is possible. But if you're a betting man now, and I, you know, we've talked about it before, my money, if I'm doing Ladbrokes tonight, it's on, it's on the Raptors. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that, but like, like you said, just it's hard to trust the team that you've seen implode. And implode might be putting too fine a point of it, but certainly last year they did. And the year before they were okay, but, but never really threatened Cleveland. But this certainly isn't the same Cleveland Cavaliers team. And I, the, I guess there's some chance that now um, Kevin Love's confronted the, the panic attack that he had and obviously some of the, the stress that he's been under, that he may come back a bit refreshed uh, and be able to play. And, he, and it's not that he was playing badly, actually. I think that in, in some ways this was possibly his best season that he's had in Cleveland. Certainly his highest usage season uh, that he's had. So it, when he comes back, I guess we can make a full judgment. But the way it stands at the moment, I just can't see how they're going to beat Toronto if Toronto can reach that level. And that's the thing. I mean, if Toronto come out and they struggle early, as they've done in the last three years in the playoffs, uh, then the question marks are going to come back again. But if they come out against whether it's Milwaukee, Miami, Philadelphia, whoever it is in that first round, and as I've said before, if they just smoke them in the first couple of games, then I think we can be pretty confident that this team has a different feel to it. And I actually watched them uh, against Houston. I watched the, the Toronto-Houston game as about uh, two weeks ago now. and oh, Sorry, it was last weekend, so about a week ago. But sort of two weeks since we last spoke. But uh, And I was watching that game and I made the comment during the game. I said, gee, if this is the NBA Finals, sign me up now because I thought it was the best game I've seen all season. And Houston, not normally a team I enjoy watching, but it was a, it was a really, really interesting game, this one. Just how... Toronto actually matched up really well on them because Capella's such a tough matchup for a lot of the teams that are going up against Houston at that top end of the both the West and the East. Whereas Toronto just threw Valentinus out and Valentinus played better than him in this one game. And I actually think Valentinus is as good a matchup as you're going to get for Capella. And here's another little secret. Chris Paul does not like the likes of Fred Van Vliet coming in, getting in his jockstrap and playing full-court defense on him. And he, he was not a happy camper about it, I can tell you. And there was a couple of real bad turnovers on that one. The only thing, I guess, for, for Toronto on that night was they missed OG and Anobi's defense against Harden. And Harden really took the DeRozan to pieces at different times. Although, having said that, the big possession of the game right at the end, DeRozan actually forced a tough shot from Harden, which he missed. And they were able to get the rebound and close the game out. So And DeRozan hit the big shot as well in that game. So... Just big shot making, um, good team basketball, particularly from the, the Raptors at different times. Fred Van Vliet hit some massive shots. I think he had eight points in the last quarter uh, to help them home. And I just looking at that game gave me more confidence, I guess, that 
Toronto are going to be capable of uh, of getting through and winning the Eastern Conference. And I'll say I'll say two things about it. I, I didn't. I wish I saw the game, but I've seen I've seen tons of tons of Toronto this year, and we've talked about it a lot. And I think I mentioned it perhaps about two episodes ago. But for me, the number one thing, what we would watch around, the number one thing is that. Can you believe this stat, Daz? I just had to look to, to make sure it was real. The Raptors have 11 players averaging 16 minutes a game over 58 games, sorry, 56 games played or above. Think about that. 11 players playing 16 minutes a night and a minimum 56 games played. Mm. And who their an 11th most effective player is Norman Powell. Right, he's he's had probably he's had been a step back this year as he's watched the likes of Ananobi, Delon Wright, and Fred Van Vliet kind of pass him by a little bit on depth chart. But you know, Norm Powell's got some, you know, he's got some battle scars in a good way. And he, and if he can find his confidence, that's eleven guys deep. The point is, right, is how will Casey approach it? How is he going to act? Is he going to have the guts, the heart, the moxie, the brain power? As other teams are perhaps shrinking their, you know, shrinking their lineups or doing ultra small ball or death lineups, what are those? Is he going to have the moxie, the heart, the balls, the creativity to stick with eight, not even eight, nine, and ten man rotations? The thing that's been winning them games all year. Because if he shrinks, I go. If he goes and changes, Daz, I'll put my money on. I go. He goes back to eight man lineup. I think they're in trouble. I think they're in trouble. Oh, yeah, I think what, he will. Rose, you don't. So that's where I go. As we, I hope he doesn't. I hope he stays with his nine and ten men's, and does what he does so well, which is Valanciunas is great at attacking a mismatch. Valanciunas just devours the box. Right? They got nobody who can physically keep him from wherever he wants to be. Once they traded Greg Monroe, and look, he averages twenty-two minutes a game. But I can tell you what: when he plays the likes of the Bucks, or I can bet if he plays the likes of Cleveland, he's just gonna throw his big ass everywhere. So that's the thing for me is will will he continue to find the matchups irrespective of it's with the stars or not? And then and then secondly, right, which we already alluded to is the uh, I love we love contrasts, right? I love the contrasting styles and they play radically different styles of ball, don't they? The Houston's ISO heavy and Toronto's, you know, sharing heavy. Toronto only takes about thirty three pointers a game. Houston's up to 45 or something per game so just completely different styles of play from completely different styles of coach and i'm i'm already sitting here at the middle of march going that would be i'm with you i think that'd be an awesome finals as much as adam silver and those who look for revenue probably you're cheering against it i think that would be an awesome finals matchup well, I think if you're a basketball fan, you should enjoy, you should appreciate it. But I understand it's not the big markets, not necessarily the big stars uh, that are going to uh, attract like a Houston, Cleveland would, or you know, even if it was Golden State, Cleveland again. Uh, and that that was the stunning thing I thought. Or Boston, for that matter, right? Boston's got a huge following, and they're a bit of a brand, right? So I think they're just, you know, I'd love to see the entire the entire Commonwealth log on and, and watch the you know watch the Raptors play if they haven't so they've mobilized the global audience well I think but, it's uh, the casual I'm, fans that will tune in for the Golden State Cleveland game whereas they may not for the the Houston that's uh, right Toronto yeah. series but the X factor for me is Van Vliet because 
he changes the way they play when he's out there, both defensively and offensively. And that's just something I don't think anyone saw coming. This guy went undrafted uh, and he's come out and just he's playing crunch time minutes. And the fact that he's sort of got the ball in his hands is forcing them. Then It's forcing them away from that ISO heavy style. So, you know, last year it would have been just give the ball to the Rose and in a pick and roll, let him go the work. Maybe Kyle Lowry does a little bit of pick and roll action with Valentinus and looks for a shot. Because Van Vliet at times is taking the ball up, that's getting him into a team-orientated offense more than just, you know, Van Vliet's not taking anyone off the dribble and just going one-on-one. So I love what I'm seeing there, and that's that's why I don't think he's going to shrink the roster. Look, Norm Powell may be the, the odd man out, and they might go to a 10-man rotation where nine guys play heavier minutes and, and one of, um, you know, Siakam might sort of drop down a little bit as well. But uh, or Pirtle, Siakam and Pirtle, I think you know, one of those might play a little bit less minutes than what you may see in the uh, in the regular season. But in terms of what they're able to do with that many players playing that many minutes, you can throw different lineups at teams. So if one thing is not working, he can he can go in and say, well, let me look at this line. I know this has worked in the past, and do things like that. And that's what the Spurs have done so well for years. Whereas the Spurs in the playoffs, even though the rosters shrink. Pop's not afraid to go, well, I'm going to throw out a, a Matt Bonner in a big moment in in the playoffs because Matt Bonner's played 82 games across the regular season and we know he's not going to be completely rusty. Whereas some of these other teams, like mm-hmm. the D'Antoni looks down the end of his bench and he's got no one. Of all the unpredictable things, I, you could get a Matt Bonner <laughs> reference in in the, the first 15 minutes of our number one seed reviews, but well played, Daz. Sorry, so I couldn't resist <laughs> Matt Bonner. You, well, I, well, I was while you were while you were reminiscing about Matty B, I was looking at the. They may not take a lot of volume, but I was just looking at Toronto's right um, three point percentage. Quite efficient, right, Demar underrated that he's changed his game right he, you know living in the on the hard shot express and living in the mid-range he's up to three and a half um three-point attempts and at 32 percent that's still below league average but his career is at 28 and a half 29 and so he's got it up three percentage points and then you got lowry you know i love in the playoffs is freaking cj miles i love that guy in the corner or you know when you got that third quarter run and the second unit's on the floor, and you, you need six quick quick points. There's a guy who can change the game in two possessions. I love C.J. Miles also shooting 39%. They said Freddie, Freddie VV also 39% from three this year. So that's how I go. They they can if they need to in spurts, right? If, if Toronto gets on the giddy-up, they've got enough guys to they can score six points in 20 seconds. They've got that to do it. Yeah. And it's not just going to take, you know, blind, blind luck and a blind miracle by by Lauer. They've got, got enough, right? Like they get got enough weapons where they can score in, sh- score in short bursts if they need to. Now, you hope they don't have to do it. You hope they go into their, you know, to match up heavy and go deep into the lineups. But that's what I like about it. It's not just, you know, it's not just the rookie stapled at the end of the roster. They've got, they've just had such an amazing season and they've got a way. I think they've got weapons, Daz. I'd, well, still, put, I'd still pick Houston in seven, but in a seven-game series, but I, I think that's a, that's not an easy series at all. Well, one of the other things, the bit, one of the other big shots that I've hit, which uh, tied it up late, uh, when Houston looked like they were going to escape with the win, and uh, DeRozan took it in, and you thought, 
it was one of those situations where the Rosen would all you've seen it a hundred times where he just forces up a shot in traffic and it's just a terrible shot and they miss the rebound and you have to foul. And instead of taking a shot in traffic, he's actually kicked it out to the corner to who else but the guy you just talking about, CJ Miles, who knocked down the wide open three. And I thought that to me was as much of a sign of the development of this team as anything else. The fact that they've finally got that sort of ball movement yes. that we have need to win as a team um, into their system. So the only other team I, I would be looking at is the Wizards, just from the point of view. I think they've been playing... They're so inconsistent. I mean, they, they remind us, and I think we've said it before on the pod, of the Clippers, just the Clippers, uh, their Clippers East, because the Clippers for many years... They lost so, so many heartbreaking playoff, playoff series, but they were always very good in the regular season, but just never quite had that consistency. And you'd always look at the the, um, the schedule and see that they just got blown out by a good team one night. They'd lose to a terrible team. you think, how did that happen? And the Wizards seemed to be exactly the same to me. But I do think with John Wall coming back, maybe he's been able to sit back and watch the way they've been playing lately and maybe think about how he can better integrate himself than maybe what he even was before and continue that and I guess raise the level because it's not like they've been playing badly since he went down so it's going to be interesting to see does he change his game at all uh, when he comes back or is he just going to be do the same thing and it's basically going to be the same same old same old for the Wizards it's going to be hard man I think it's going to be hard we've we've heard pundit after pundit and we we picked it up remember we were dissecting box scores and we had seen up and down the, the starting lineup every all five players had at least three assists now three assists aren't necessarily a, you know a proxy that the ball's moving but all five starters have that sort of thing you know that they've got different sort of sets you've got sharing the ball and we've heard pundit after pundit there's just a different everyone just is a little more relaxed when you don't have the ball hog on the floor and it doesn't mean they're better without him but it just means they're probably happier and more free and more involved right so imagine when russ sits you know when russ goes down everyone probably has more fun they're probably going to lose but fuck it's going to be more fun it just so <laughs> happens that sadoransky right little sadoransky's had, had quite a little resurgence here and so it's going to be a shame to watch him go down to you know 12 minutes a night again so look uh, they've had fun and it's going to be not as fun when john wall's back they're probably going to be better but they're just going to go back to I just think they're going to go my turn, your turn, the way the Bucks do, your turn, my turn, you, me, Beal Porter. We'll just take turns, and the days, the nights they're hot, and the night that Gortat decides not to you know, to bring his A game and, and stand in the middle, you know, they'll, they can beat anybody, but I just can't imagine them doing it for over a seven-game series. I, I I just have, yeah, no. Yeah, they're too inconsistent, no. and I think, I think Scott Brooks's game-to-game coaching is not good enough either. I mean, he's good. He's been good over the years in terms of his player development and getting the best out of the guys. I think it's fair to say, but he's game the game and the X's and O's. Uh, you just at their head scratches. Some of the yeah. lineups that he throws out there and just slow to react when when guys are getting killed too. Uh, and that obviously goes back to the young Mahimni sitting out there getting torched by Kelly Olynyk in Game Seven last year, and he just sort of sat there and let it happen. So. Uh, that that's a worry as well. And here's a quick question, but now, so, I mean, just in terms of coaching, I mean, has it has it ever been more important to have good coaching? And and what I mean by that is, I guess flip it around, is it has there ever been more of a competitive disadvantage 
to having bad coaching. And I think of two teams I think that stand out this season that have had good rosters, look like good teams and had bad coaching. And obviously one's your Milwaukee Bucks and the other is the Denver Nuggets. But you just look at the sheer number of Coach of the Year candidates that we've got, guys that you could make a legitimate case for. I think it goes probably 10 deep this season when you look at the guys like Nate McMillan, Nate McMillan, Pop, uh, D'Antoni, Terry Stotts, uh, Dwayne Casey, who Casey. Yeah. Brad Stevens, yeah. who, who's been in lead most of the year. Um, so do you, do you think it's is it as important as it's ever been, I guess, to have that really strong coaching? Look, we could probably dive into that for 90 minutes alone uh, when the season's over and and play with it but i i want to it's a leading it's a bit of a leading question right so i want to say yes i, I want to say yes but i'm also of the well yes but we are in a um and i don't say an era but right in the the way that players are moving more fluidly and taking shorter deals and taking more risk and then clustering talent together i still probably would rather have I don't know what sort of coach with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green, or right James Harden and Chris Paul, you know, two Hall of Fame point guards in the same team. So I go, talent still, right, still probably is more important, Des. But your question was, has it been more important than ever? And I go, if your metric is to compete in an era where where superstars are clustering more freely and more openly and more transparently than ever in order for you to be competitive, right? You're going to need something like what Dan Tony's done in Houston, like what Brad Stevens done, like what, you know, McMillan and, and we already listed names like, like Casey. There's been some scintillating coaching this year to take teams where we thought no freaking chance, right? Six months ago, we we're like, whatever. These are four seeds. Let's, you know, let's roll the ball out. It's probably going to be, if all the chips fall right, it'll be maybe Houston's the third best team. San Antonio's probably up there um, with the talent level, but here we are. We've got Toronto. You've got Boston if they get healthy. Um, and I don't know. you just got teams like, you know, like you've already mentioned, Portland well, and Indiana making such noise with, you know, less talent and amazing coaching, having legitimate chances to, you know, make a deep playoff run. So, look – that's a that's a waffly answer. I want to say yes, but I, um, you know, I guess. Well, I think the point what, is you're not going yeah. to attract the talent with bad coaching either. So if you want to be a free agent destination, which you really have to be to take the next step, if if we're going to continue to see these super teams formed, yeah, no one's forming a super team under Jason Kidd. You know, no one's forming a super team with Mike Malone. Um, the way he's sort of managed things this year in Denver. So I think you do need to show that level or, of confidence with coaching. Look, if you want to segue into the bad or the ugly of the no one's forming, our super team is not forming as we speak, you know, underneath Tom Thibodeau, mm. right? What's what's happening? And I know, yes, Jimmy Butler's injury aside, but what we're starting to hear um, with his injury is that the rumblings are that Wiggins is unhappy and was unhappy and is um, how did they? Uh, what did we hear? He's um, well. He's whispering. Was the, the word? The whispering, whispering, the murmuring, the whispering, <laughs> whispering to teammates that he's you know just doesn't want to be the third wheel. And um, 
you know, doesn't like that the fact that when Jimmy's out, now this is some, he's under the microscope, he's being examined in a different way. You know, oh, step up, step up, step up, and, you know, here's your chance to do it. And I go, my metric was, this was last week, my telltale, look, we've been picking on Wiggins for some time, right, with his low PER, uh, modest effort, and not any much, not much demonstrable improvement on, you know, sort of his complete game other than some otherworldly athletic accomplishments, but he played 37 minutes. I know you and I texted about this. He played 37 minutes last week, had 16 points, one rebound, and one assist. And that's all I need to see. I know it's a counting stat, and I know I'm cherry-picking a box score, but for a man with his athletic ability to accidentally, you know, collect one rebound and make one assist in 37 minutes, whilst on not high usage, didn't take many shots, I go, what? what is he actually doing? Like what? What is he actually? Well, I almost, thought it was. You very... almost have to run away from the ball to get <laughs> one rebound. Like, are you? Is he sprinting down the court every time to cherry pick? And like, if he is, then no one's passing it to him because he only had 16 points. So, so I take two steps backwards to go two steps back where you were at, which was that is coaching. Coaching can attract, right? And we've seen Tom Thibodeau has attracted, right? A, a team that's taken stars. And augmented it with the likes of Derek Rose and um, uh, Taj Gibson. Who's the Taj? Taj Gibson, right? Yeah. Yeah. To sort of anchor it, and obviously, obviously Jimmy. So theoretically, some of these coaches can attract it, but then, you know, I still say talent wins out most times. But yeah, you you raise equal points about the uh, the Bucks train wreck of a lost season with no bet, no good habits established. Um, and then Denver does things. We've been seeing them play some low IQ ball all year. And then they just give away a game to Memphis today. Uh, a team who had lost 18, 19 in a row. 19 in a row, yeah. Had lost 19 in a row. Um, so, yeah, look, I think the other factor, and I don't want to go too far on this, in too philosophical, but in this era where you are drafting, your top players are now 19 and 20 years old, and you know they're supposed to go to college to learn how to play basketball. But now you got your NBA coaches and the coaching staff having to teach, right? Fill in the blank here: Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Smith, Markel Fultz, Thon Maker, etc. You're trying to teach them how to play basketball, you know, and spacing and effort. And look at Carl Anthony Towns; he hasn't learned how to play defense yet, right? Joel Okafor never learned how to play defense, and that's why he's basically, you know, scrounging to stay in the league. And, you know, it's just that's when you say that's more important than ever. I go, you know what, if your asset, right, your franchise is dependent on these, you know, lottery picks who are 19 years old and they reach unrestricted free agency by the age of 23, my goodness, you better want to have, you better have them developed at age 23 to pay them $30, $35 million a year. Right. So that's probably the way I would answer with an emphatic yes, that coaching and player development of your young stars is definitely more important than ever because you're not getting, you know, the 22, 21 year old Michael Jordans and and so forth coming out anymore. You're getting really, really raw products that you're at age 22 and 23 investing 100, 110, 150 million dollars in. So that's the other way to look at it where I would definitely agree it is more definitely more important than ever well so. i think when when we look back in say 2030 or something you know and when we look back on the one undone era we can sit there and then definitively say this was the best way to 
develop these players and, and you might find that red shirting yeah. guys, obviously that's not the ideal way of doing it, but the guys that were inadvertently red shirted like the Ben Simmons and the Joe Allen Bird just had a, a slight advantage just from being around an NBA program for a year. And we've seen actually Minnesota have done that with Justin Patton this year, essentially sent him to the yeah. G League, let him develop that way. I think there are some teams that are thinking that way to try and do that. But then we've seen other teams that have been lower, lower series right in the tank if I'm sort of race, still developing their players well. So I don't... I, I think... Teams are learning as they go on some of this stuff. And I, yeah. I just think you get a guy like Wiggins. What what do you do with him? And it was interesting. I, I thought it was fascinating that they said he whispered something because I thought his whole game is a whisper at the moment because there's just nothing. Like, he's completely invisible on the court. I mean, today he had 22 points, five rebounds, five assists. But he in no way impacted the game whatsoever on either end. Towns did a little bit on offense, but he was absolutely dreadful. Like Lamarcus Aldridge put thirty nine points on him, and, and did it quite comfortably after missing his first five shots. So uh, the only guy that gave the Spurs any problems today was Jeff Teague. Uh, the rest of the team was just a complete mess. And yeah, you guys don't, you don't like you don't like defending point guards, do you guys? Yeah, <laughs> no, not not fast guys. Even even guys named Jeff Teague. Yeah, look, the box score tells me that the bench lost the game, right? So. Wiggins is only a minus two. Towns was a minus eight, which is a little bit worse. But the, you know, Derek Rose, surprise, surprise, was a minus twenty-one. Tyus Jones a minus ten. You know, Jamal Crawford. When Jamal Crawford's not hitting, you know, that's the, that's the horrible reality for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Well, yeah, this is what you do with Derek Rose, right? And I think the scanning reports out. You let him hit his first two shots, and then he thinks he's MVP Derek Rose again, and he just says, "Stand back, guys, I'm taking over." And next thing you know, you go on the twenty to zero run. Yeah, imagine a floor, a, a lineup with Derrick Rose and Jamal Crawford in it, honestly. And, you know, flanked by Tyus Jones, who's what, he's 4'11". You know, well, they Tyus had all three Tinklage. out there at one point. He did I have know. all three out there at one point. So I was, was looking the on-off. And Georgie Deng go, was out there. It was just, yeah, that, the, yeah. As soon as they went to their bench, the Spurs just went on. Because they were leading by seven. Uh, no, sorry, they were leading by nine right towards the end of the first quarter. And then um, Tibbs had to go to his bench. Q&A day run for the Spurs, and the Spurs took over and, and sort of kept running. And I think in the end, the run was like 15, 15 to 3. Yeah. The Spurs took a lead and just never looked back. And, uh, you yeah, know, 10. Look, we, I think we both hated it in October, and we hate it now. Jamal Crawford was an awful, an awful idea. Just an awful idea. And I go, that's why teams like Minnesota and teams like, who's Washington relying on? Kelly Oubre? You know, honestly. Your your six man is critical. Anyway, we're going too far away. But I just I hate I hate what Minnesota's done. I hate that Thibodeau can't do it. I imagine he is so unbelievably frustrated because we have to right. You trust what you've seen and you trust his track record. You know he hasn't changed philosophy and he's probably you know maybe he's adapted some of his teaching techniques, but he has not reached him. He has not reached. Um, Cat and Andrew Wiggins, and that therefore means that franchise has a ceiling. And so we, uh, I want to fast forward to a, a segment we'll know likely, you know, undoubtedly do in, you know, in the leading up to the draft is the who's the next star, who's the next quote unquote star to go. We saw Blake get traded, and I'm, and I think we have to put, you know, Andrew Wiggins towards the top of that list of, you know, he's probably still enough of an asset and attractive to, 
Um, maybe some some teams are a little hungry for some star power and some upside, but everyone who watches the NBA and watches you know the analytics would say he's you know he's a <laughs> he's a league average player. But I think he's going to creep up to the top of that list as of next quote unquote star to. Well, get on the, the thing about block, Wiggins is if you watch, if you watch his best games, you'd you'd think he was an MVP candidate. Like he's had the forty seven point game, he's had a forty point game, and those games weren't just scoring. Like he he's had games where he's filled up the box score, and you just think. What I, I remember a game, and I think I've mentioned on the pod before, where he played Chicago and just took Jimmy Butler to pieces on both ends of the court, and you're just thinking, "Wow, what? Wh- where's this game been?" And then the next night, you know, he might be just playing Utah, and he gets his 16 and two rebounds and no assists, no fouls, nothing, and you're just back into his shell. So they've been very frustrated, I think, internally at Minnesota from from day one, but. Uh, to be fair to them, I think they were on target for the three seed, obviously, before Jimmy Butler went down as well. So maybe there's still some thinking in there. Look, if we get Jimmy Butler fit for a tie season, and who knows if Jimmy Butler can come back uh, for the playoffs and they don't follow the ringer method um, and actually bring him back and try and win, which w- w- what a what an unbelievable thing that would be to do in a competitive NBA. Uh, if they can do that this year, Rather than you know, and, and then sort of move on next year. I guess they can look at what they get for Wiggins, but uh, they they might be happier with where they were sitting before Butler went out than what we're sort of looking at it now. I guess um, so. It remains to be seen what the what the movements will be in the offseason. It remains to be seen how their season will finish, and I guess a lot of that depends on when Jimmy Butler comes back and what sort of state his game is in uh, when he does come back. And we've talked about it two weeks ago, and I still they haven't released the details if it was a meniscectomy or a meniscal repair. So we don't know. We can't even infer the the timeline of his recovery. So we haven't even given the details of what type of procedure Jimmy had. I don't know why they're doing that. I don't know if the NBA doesn't have the similar sort of rules like the NFL where you have to disclose, right, for um, purposes of what the medical condition is. But um, we don't know. All we can say is cartilage bad. And bringing him back, even if on a 100% knee, is, is hard, right? We're just talking about John Wall's going to be hard to integrate. Um, he, Jimmy Butler will be even harder to integrate, I think. Um, but uh, we'll oh, see. I don't think I, Jimmy I, Butler will be hard to integrate because he's not playing well. So you just go give Jimmy the ball and uh, hope, hope he's hope he's in good enough game shape, I guess, to, well, to come in the, in the the con- running. In the context of grumpy, sad Wiggins, right? That's all I meant was I think it just could be – does does having a type A alpha player like Jimmy make a not so type A attitude like Andrew Wiggins? Does it just make him just even go into his shell even more? That's what that's all I meant to go. Well, I'd that's, imagine that's they're was, just sick yeah. and tired of Wiggins. I mean, they've been waiting for this guy to to get it for what was it now? His fourth season in the NBA. So uh, I, I think that they've run out of patience there. So I think you he's are what get you it. are. Yeah. yeah. Shame, shame they gave him $135 million. Well, that's true, but maybe they thought that would that, that plus Jimmy Butler being around and, and, and the intensity of Tibbs would, would bring an out of him. If that doesn't bring an out of him, I'm not sure what will. Maybe he's just going to end up being a good stats, bad team, uh, sort of guy like a Monte Ellis type. So I'm going to give you, I'll give you a 30-second time limit, but what what was it that had LaMarcus Aldridge feasting today. So who was defending him? How are they different? I'm not, I'm not joking. Well, How was he for, 14 for 22 against 
Gorgie Dang and Taj Gibson and, and Carl Anthony Towns. Like he looks like he wasn't. He made every single shot, and then when he got fouled, he had every single he had twelve free throws. What what the hell was going on? Well, he on was hitting that outside shot. So when he's hitting the mid range, he's very difficult to to guard. Anyway, he was pulling down pretty much every offensive board. So any anything that was around the rim, he was just snaffling it up. He even he threw up an air ball to himself at one point on the other side of the basket. So he actually, and, and I couldn't believe, I thought, how did he get his own rebound from one side of the basket to the other side of the basket? So, but as soon as, with, with Towns, he has no concept of team defense. So what happened at one point, he was like, he was guarding uh, Gasol at this point, and they ran the pick and roll, and instead of, uh, I think it would have been Jeng, and instead of Jeng, it ended up being Berlitz, it was on Lamarcus Aldridge, and Aldridge just backed him down. You know, well, Berlitz is not strong enough, so Lamarcus Aldridge is going to have an easy two there. And Towns, instead of coming over and helping a little bit and just sagging off Pau Gasol, he just stayed on Pau Gasol and was just like looking at Pau Gasol, didn't even look <laughs> at what Aldridge was doing. And it's just like, that's the problem. Like, if you can't have enough you know, to say, well, if this happens, you need to do this... They just think, and, and Wiggins is the same, I think. That's how it seems anyway. Because one-on-one, Towns at times didn't do too badly, particularly early. Like, Lorges was over for his first five as well, Daz. So he, he didn't miss. I think he missed like once after he, he after his bad start. 14 for 22, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. okay. So, and that and was look, the thing. I go- as soon as they ran a pick and roll and, and Towns was, wasn't, the primary event, he was just wasn't. There was no help at the rim, and the Aldridge just get a layup. All right, that was forty-five seconds. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, Manu Manu dunked again today. Manu dunked Paul on had, Towns. Paul had him. Paul had an you know an optimized Powell game. Twelve points, seven rebounds, eight assists, a steal. A block, no turnover, six of ten from the field in twenty-four minutes, and a plus twenty-three. He just owned. I go. Imagine the intelligence and skill of Paul going up against C. Aldrich, D. Rose, you know, G. Jang. You know, like that must have been. It must have been embarrassing, actually. Well, it's bit, a bad right? matchup like, for Minnesota because you got a low a IQ team matchup. against a very high IQ well, team, obviously. Yeah, I know. So, so uh, there you go. You're now tied. The Spurs are not Well, tied two good wins in the race. Yeah. The Spurs beat New Orleans as well. And Aldridge did a brilliant job against uh, Anthony Davis as well. Kept Anthony Davis to 21 points. You're uh, clinging and, on. You're, not, you're two games clear of the Clippers now. Yeah. Yeah, the Clippers and, and Denver have fallen back a little bit. Uh, but look, things can change very, very quickly. But the Spurs do have a nice little run coming up. They've got Washington at home and Golden State at home. Uh, as well, so and Golden State really at the moment. We'll get to them shortly. So nice little run. If the Spurs can make the most of this little homestand, you feel like they might put enough daylight between them and the other chasers to at least make the playoffs. But I think they're probably already looking a bit further up. The the bad news is Kawhi Leonard hasn't been medically cleared to return yet, and it seems more and more unlikely that he will be back this season. Um, more of what I'm hearing. Uh, the Spurs. I think if we don't see him this week. We will not. We won't see uh, Kawhi this season. I'll put it to you that way. So, um, mm. but let's look at the top. So, when we started this season, you touched on this earlier. <clears throat> we sort of thought about, well, it was probably going to be Golden State and Cleveland again. We didn't really see who was going to beat Golden State. 
maybe the Spurs. I was certainly sort of thinking that. I think you were probably more thinking maybe the Rockets. Uh, but none of us were overly confident, I think, about those terms. Do you, do you think we can definitively say now Golden State are not even not, not favourites to win the title? They're not even favourites to make the NBA finals anymore. Or are you still of the belief, well, look, once they get healthy, this team is going to be able to roll on? But I, I guess, and the other point is, are you confident they can get healthy? Because that's where I'd probably come in. I'm not overly confident that they can solve these health problems enough to actually beat Houston. Are Houston now the, the favourites in your mind to come out of the West and win the title? No, it's still Golden State if they get relatively healthy, right? For me, of all the injuries, you know, Durant's got a rib. That'll heal. It'll be a bit niggling, but that'll be fine. It's not going to be something, you know, to linger. Uh, Clay's got a little chip in his in his thumb. He'll be fine. That's going to be it. that's going to quick to heal. The worry, of course, right, is Seth's tweaking of the ankles, because I go the, that Golden State will definitely be. They fall down to the number two. If if Curry has any wobbling with his ankles, Houston is better. But if Curry is back, even close to 100%, it's it's Golden State. So look, well, he's had, talked, just to interrupt you there, he's had four, yeah, no, go. four ankle sprains since Christmas. So that's, that's where I, mean. I come down and I think that's it. durability matters. And now we've got a point where we're saying, okay, we always knew there was going to be some, some question marks over his his durability, particularly around the ankles. Uh, and I think we're, you know, the rubber's moving the road in that sense now. And we always wondered what, what's the longevity of his career or even given the ankle problems that he's had. And it's a, it's a real concern for Golden State, I think. Even without stuff. So let's just say not stuff. I would still put Golden State heavy, heavy oh, favorites to make the, no, the Western, to make, make the Western Conference. Ooh. To make the Western Conference Finals, right? So they're num- they're locked in at number two, right? So they'll they'll destroy whatever Minnesota, San Antonio, whatever in the first round. So then please, you go the three six matchup. Look, it, sorry, <laughs> it's not going to be close, right? Um, no, you I need agree that with that. How, yeah, look, first round's a cake. Um, second round, I'm also not worried. Yep, Dame. Dame uh, as a three seed, they could win a couple games, but I still don't pick. I don't pick Portland. So I'm not too concerned um, if they have to rest Curry, right? But at the big, big, big variables, we saw it. Um, we saw it the other year when he's not when he's not MVP Curry. That's not the same team. That's definitely not the same team. Well, so, he becomes a liability if he's not MVP Curry. That's the other the other issue that you've got to think about, right? This a is a bit. guy that needs to be at 100%, I believe. Or, or, you know, 90%. No one's necessarily at 100% at the end of the season. But if he... And I don't I don't think in that playoffs when they were beaten by Cleveland and obviously very close to be beaten by OKC, I don't think he was 100%. I think he was maybe 70 percent yeah. And then yep. he starts to become a bit of a liability because, you see, he, he basically shot them out of the Game 7. You know, and it's hard to be harsh on the guy given the great season he had. He was a unanimous MVP, um, but at the end of the day, you know, if he now if he's not out there, they probably lose by more anyway. But you know, I, I think it was interesting at the end of that game, just looking back on it, that he wasn't necessarily a plus player for them, uh, and that'd be the worry for me now. You know, given I guess given the other weapons they have, maybe you can be out there as a bit of a foil if any, if nothing else, but. Um, it's a big risk to take. Look, 
their their defense isn't the same as last year, right? West is slower, Iguodala is slower, Durant's not had the same defensive impact, right? Even even Zaza's older and slower and not don't mention the Zaza. Way but look, just quickly on West, well, I don't so think West is slower. West is playing really well this year. On offense, yeah, he's he's scoring. I guess I'd have to look closer at his his defense, but um, I think he's been a great sort of you know small ball five and a nice scoring punch. But I, I guess I'd have to look at his defense. But would you agree their defense isn't the same as it was? Oh well, Draymond's not the, the same player either. Mm-hmm. Um, and their bench is, is there's not one plus defender coming off their bench anymore. Yeah, that's what I mean. Nick Nick Young, you know, Casper, um, uh, Livingston, slower. You know, Jordan Bell has lost the luster from early in the season. So I guess look, they they are more vulnerable than they've been in this five year run, right? They are they are much more vulnerable. But if his ankles are back and he's playing unfettered confident ball they're a heavy favorite right um just because that starting lineup is just it's ridiculous I, look i don't think they're a heavy favorite i think they're still favorites if steph's 100 percent. now if steph's not 100 percent, i think houston are them favorites if steph doesn't play i'm not convinced they get past portland the way portland are playing at the moment if steph is out i'm with you that that's the way dame can go for 40 a night and he and CJ can score 70 together, that's all All bets are off if Steph misses, say, two or three games in that series or, you know, plays games one and two and misses has to miss a game. It, it, all bets are off if he's hurt. But here's what I love sure. about Portland, too. They are built to beat these two teams, in my opinion, because what, are the, what they do is they've got the two backcourt guys that can just go off, you know, Dame can score 40 and CJ can score 30 in any one night. And Dame, at the moment, the way he's playing, they're on a 12-game win streak, the Blazers. He steps into the gym and he's in range. Like, he's really playing almost Steph Curry levels of basketball at the moment. But the other thing they do is they crash the boards. So they're crashing the offensive glass and the defensive glass. You're not getting any rebounds. You're not getting any second chances against them. That's one of the Achilles heels of these two teams, particularly the Warriors, in terms of if you can crash the offensive glass and you're getting second looks. And obviously, you know, the stat, the, the research shows when you get an offensive rebound, you get an even more wide open three on average. So that's when you get the shooters like the CJ McCollum's and the Dave Lillard's that can even get better looks. So and when you get Ed Davis and Nurk is just playing really well again now, uh, and even the Moon News being crashing the boards and getting rebounds. So these guys coming in and being able to do that, I think they're tailor-made to really give Golden State problems no matter who's out there. But if Steph Curry's not out there, I think they're tailor-made to give Golden State a heck of a lot of problems. They could... Look, Damian Lillard and CJ average 27 and 22, so was that 49? But I think they need to average 60 a night, though, in the playoffs, right? So they, they have to be firing. That's the problem with Portland is the scoring, if it doesn't come from those two, let's say CJ has one of those two for 13 nights, they're done. It just You're going to need Evan frickin' Turner, Shabazz Napier, Amino. You're going to need so many unlikely heroes, and that's just the risk with the, a team like that. So, look, um, I almost forgot what the question was, Dan. Where are we looking? Is, is so, is, is Houston's favorite? So, I guess... Houston's got this one seed locked up. I think that's that's pretty clear. So, they're going to have home 
home field and home court and <laughs> hometown look how don't know how much that matters to them probably that a little doesn't bit. matter a lot though, i think not a lot a little bit not a lot i think it probably matters to them emotionally um but um yeah look and i guess i you know all things considered I'd, when you start looking just talking about portland i would rather have the one seed in terms of the one matching up against four or five you know in round two and avoid avoid portland for the reasons all the reasons you mentioned so I think there's an advantage. You know, Houston can probably have a little bit easier road, you know, going through the very flawed OKC, Utah, Minnesota, you know, to get to the to get to the finals. But um, all comes down to health. Hell, James Harden could, you know, twist his ankle next week. So all comes down to... I yeah, but I guess the point. problem is with the Golden State, the health questions are there. I mean, we've got no reason this essentially to question... Houston's healthy at right the now. moment. At I, the moment, now right. obviously that can change, but the way it's trending at the moment, I I lean slightly towards Houston, just slightly towards Houston, and I like the fact that this is Chris Paul's team now. He's the guy that takes over late in the games, uh, rather than James Harden. And Harden's had his problems down the stretch, and look, Chris Paul's had some problems as well down the stretch. But I'll give you, like, at, at the moment, there's sort of this thing, oh, gee, they don't want to face San Antonio in the first round. I think that's a fan thing. I don't think Houston could care less if they face San Antonio. And people are saying, well, San Antonio beat them on their home court in Game 6 last year. And I thought, well, Chris Paul's probably sitting back thinking, last time I faced San Antonio, I was the one that sent them home uh, in Game 7 a couple of years ago now, admittedly for the Clippers. But I don't think they have any fear of San Antonio or any really anyone in the Western Conference other than Golden State, I think they're already sort of looking at that matchup. And that's the way they're playing at the moment. They're just, they're locked in. I mean, because the Spurs came in last week and it was a big game for the Spurs. Spurs needed it and Houston just put them away early and just flicked them away like they were nothing. And I thought, you know, even if you put Kawhi Leonard back in that game, he's going to have to be playing at a pretty high level to make the sort of difference that we would or the Spurs would have needed him to make in that sort of game. So any sort of thoughts that if, if the Spurs end up in the eight seed and they might give Houston a, some problems, I think is vastly overrated. I don't see OKC or Utah, and I think that's going to be the 4-5, sort of the way the 4-5 might shake out. I don't see either of them worrying them either. So I think the other point is they may very well have an easier run to the Western Conference Finals than I think what Golden State would have. Uh, I agree. Golden State, if you if Golden State have got to face New Orleans and Portland, that's a nightmare for them because that's two awful matchups for them. Well, especially, well, it's a shame Boogie wasn't around, but yeah, you're right. You know, KD is going to need to spend every ounce of energy on defense. Um, so you need a, you need an optimized stuff to score points against New Orleans. But I was going to make, a, you know, the obvious point that um, back to Houston is they're defending. They're not winning games 124, 121, right? They're locking in. We saw great possessions. You know, they hold they hold the pathetic Mavs at 82. They held the Spurs at 93. Held the Clippers under 100. The Pelicans was a tough game, but they win 107-101. They're winning, not by scoring 122 points. They can play defense, and that's the big question: is how how well will they match up? How well will PJ uh, Ariza and um, Baamute match up? You know, they can they can really f- they can fuck with Golden State with those three guys on the floor rotating in and out and just having Harden, Paul, and Eric Gordon freaking bombs away. That is a, that's got to terrify. They always say 
um, variability of outcomes and high beta, right? Houston opens up high beta, you know, high volatility of outcomes where they could they could run Golden State off the court just as easily Golden State could run them off, and that's the only team in the league you can say that about. And last year we couldn't say it because they couldn't play any defense at all. And now they've got, you know, Chris Paul when he's locked in in the three wings who can defend the fuck out of it. Well, and that's Capella, why Chris Paul yeah. is their leader because they're now playing defense. They're following his lead. Last year they were following the lead of James Harden and no one, no one gave a fuck except for probably Ariza. So this yeah. year you you can actually throw a lineup out there of Capella, Ariza, PJ Tucker, and Bar Mutane, Chris Paul. Right now, obviously, right. you're going to want James Harden out there at some point for the offense. But just from a defensive point of view, if you had a big defensive position, you're throwing them out there. Good luck scoring on that team. Yeah, that's right. So that's they right. can lock down now. And to be fair to James Harden, he's playing defense this year. He's not. He's not doing the Ole defense that we've seen from him in the past. That's for sure and certain. Look, he's not going to be mistaken for a lockdown wing defender, but especially on switches. He bodies up. I think that was the the research, right? You mentioned it, I think, in the last pod where he's he's actually a, I don't want to even say it, a top 25% in the post. Yeah. He's competent, right? He's competent when he's not asked to, you know, you know, defend super fast, you know, wings out on the perimeter, which is fair enough because he's a bigger guy anyway. So um, I almost want to, I'm kind of the point where Tankathon, like a, what more are we going to learn about the NBA season? We've learned everything other than health, right, and injuries, you know. I don't. I think we've learned everything. You know, there's no no MVP mystery. I think Harden's got that long wrapped up. Uh, Anthony Davis has kind of come back to earth a little bit, so he's not really going to claim it. Dame Lillard would have to score 50 a night and claim the two seed <laughs> and win 40 or 30 in a row to end the season or something. But MVP is locked up. Yeah, rookie of the year is a little bit interesting. I guess between Mitchell and Simmons, we can we can touch on that. You know, the seedings and. You know, in the East, are all locked up. All eight teams are going to make it. You know, Toronto's got the number one locked up. Um, look, there's not a lot of drama left, except for obviously it's important to some teams like Denver and San Antonio and New Orleans. You know, fighting for the final playoff spots in the West. But I'm I'm almost at the point where it's, I, I really want to hit fast forward. There's not a ton we can learn yet. I don't think in the next sort of two weeks. So well, that's the other argument for shortening yeah. the season. I guess. I mean, we're sitting here in March and going well. Uh, once again, let's get on with the playoffs because I think you're right. I, think, I don't think we're going to learn a heck of a lot. No. Obviously, the big question marks now around injuries. Are we going to see yeah. Kawhi again? Are we going to see Jimmy Butler again? How's, when is Steph coming back? How's his ankles going to be? Um, you know, Boston, as we've touched on, having a number of injuries. So that, that's, I guess, where the questions are going to come um, from now. And the other interesting thing, I guess, is looking at the Tankathon terms and, and actually watching them and say, who is remaining competitive and I actually, and when we touched on this in the last pod, and and we sort of said, you know, what what would you rather see a team that goes out there is trying to win games, remains competitive, or a team that just packs it in? And I think we're seeing now, Sacramento have won two out of their last three, and they were very competitive today in Utah. Look, I'm much higher on what I'm seeing from Sacramento than what I'm seeing from Phoenix, even though Phoenix are probably going to have the best chances of the number one pick because Phoenix is just a complete dumpster fire of a franchise. At least Sacramento are building some habits. You know, okay, they have overpaid Zach Randolph 
and Vince Carter and George Hill, they were able to move off the George Hill, but at, at least those guys are building a professionalism within the franchise and teaching these guys how to play basketball the right way, and you're now seeing it. And I think it's a great for their development to be involved in a game like today where Utah had to win that game. So that was a massive game for, for They're competing. Jazz, and they competed. I, I, you know? I haven't watched them, but I just looked back at their week, but they lost a really close game at OKC, came home and beat a fully healthy Miami Heat team in a shootout, 123-119. And yes, it was a very depleted Warriors, but they beat the Warriors, right, in Golden State and then lost a tough game at, at Utah, who is clawing. Utah is playing hell for leather, right? And so for them to hang in, they only lose by six at Utah, because that team is competing. So just to your point in the Tankathon, just as I never, I didn't predict this from Sacramento, the other team that's fighting is the Bulls, right? The Bulls have enough pride, and probably they won probably perhaps too many games to really care about the top seed, but the Bulls are also there, you know, won four of their last ten. Dallas also picked up a couple of victories in their last ten, but Sacramento, of all the tankers, you're right, has, has kind of done the anti-tank, and they're building something. So what else you what are some good habits? We talk about habits all the time, where Phoenix have no foundation of habits, they have fat players and lazy players and rested healthy players and coaches fired after three games and, you know, the, the most wily veteran on the team getting fined 25000 for a random fight in a meaningless... Like, they got nothing. They absolutely have nothing to build on. What are you seeing in Sacramento? What's Well, what's, it's little things. I mean, obviously, they give a shit, so, and, and they're tight. In, so they come into a huddle. Everyone's engaged. Like, today, they came into the huddle, and you could just see the engagement right. of the team. Right, and what what um, what Dave Yeager is doing there is he's resting the veterans on a rotational basis. So they've either got Garrett Temple, uh, Zach Randolph, or Vince Carter, and I think usually two of those three will be playing each night. So they're the sort of leaders, and these guys are following their leads. And I'm just seeing guys, and guys aren't afraid to make mistakes. They're getting, you know, he's giving them enough rope to sort of hang themselves. And they obviously made some mistakes today. They a couple of dumb fouls. Uh, didn't get their shots off. You know, Gobert had a big block on Bogdanovich on the real key basket of the game. It wasn't a great shot to take, but you, you're getting those lumps in those sort of moments, and I like to see that. And I think what I'm seeing for DeAndre, Darren Fox, he really wants the ball in his hand in the big moments, and, and he's sort of a, a natural-born leader in that sense, and I think they're allowing him to lead, and that's one of the good things by moving George Hill on. They're, they're enabling De'Ara Fox to really take those games. And look, he didn't have a great shooting game today, but he kept going towards the end of the game. He still had a couple of big buckets, but he held, showed some nice signs in recent times as well. So I think there's something to be said for just the fact that, as I say, guys like Garrett Temple and, and Zach Randolph are not going to let them slacken off and just sit over on the end of the bench and pout and say, oh, we don't have it tonight. But they're going to be engaged. They're going to be in these games as much as they can. And so they're, they're the sort of habits that I want to see. Just, I guess, just general engagement. And micro sample, but, you know, Buddy Heald scored 22 points, 22, 23, and 24 his last three games, right? And he's got his season up to four, almost 42% from three. So a guy, right, we thought was, you know, you know, is he is he better than Malcolm Brogdon? You know, the sort of lottery pick for the boogie trade. Look, he still may not be much more than a really great six man or a you know, a a younger version of Jamal Crawford, but that looks like a very positive sign where he's found the confidence. Shooting forty two percent, right, from from downtown. 
I like that. And the other thing I've just noticed, I've been flicking through their box scores just while you were talking about it, um, just on this good habits and understanding your role. They've been going 10 deep every single night. You look at every box score, they've got 10 guys every single night. Right, so guys know their roles, and to your point, they must be rotating the, rotating the vets. But that's a team that's playing engaged and playing together. When you're, when you got ten men, very, very consistently. Your starters are only playing twenty-two, twenty-five, twenty-seven minutes. So, well, I look that's... at a guy like Jakar Sampson who came out today, for example. Now he's probably mm-hmm. playing for his life in the NBA. So, how many teams would you see Jakar Sampson just comes out and says, "I'm just going to jack it up ten times and hope I go eight for ten and Get a, get a look in the box score. He only took two shots. He was out there. Yep. His role was three and D. If you're wider, if you're open for a three, take it. If you're not, play hard D. And he did both. And he played really good defense and hit both of the shots that he took. So, and I, th- I don't know how many minutes he played. I think he played about twenty minutes in the end. But I thought that's the sort of habits. That's the sort of thing I think that teams are probably taking more advent- more notice of than sitting there looking down at the Phoenix box score and going, oh. You know, Tyler Eulis had 20 points tonight. There's, you're learning nothing from Phoenix. I agree with you. You know what I mean? I agree. So that, that's just, the sort little, of things little I like things in, in winning, yeah, just, I, I just happened to notice too. They um, they won. It was the Miami game was overtime. There's a young team at home who got blitzed. Miami outscored them 32-20 in the fourth quarter to send it to overtime. It easy to fold your tent? No. They won the game by four, grinded it out 12-8 to in OT. Yeah, those little things. That's what matters. So you asked a question, a great question, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I'd much rather have my team go whatever, whatever you said. You know, ten and three over the last thirteen games and see something. But this is also something to, you know, I'd rather lose my three percentage points at a top three pick, and have my team right grind out an awesome victory against this full strength team, at home in overtime in March. Just because that's a that's a learning. You can't replicate that in Phoenix. It ain't happening in Phoenix. He can learn how to quit. He can learn how to yell. He can learn how to cheerlead. He can learn how to dunk. He can learn how to, you know, do well, drugs I think it's and happening get caught. In, it's <laughs> happening in Memphis as well. Like, and and yeah. part of that is having a having an interim coach in that's not going to be there next year. So yeah. who gives a shit? We're not. Who are we auditioning for? Yeah, you know, it's not so this fucking guy. That's yeah. that's part of the problem. So I think you know when you when you just put the cue in the rack and just say we're done. Uh, I don't think. And, and I think history would show that the teams that just just to throw their hands in the air at the end of the season I mean, um, aren't going to go on and, and have much more success, no matter what sort of players they bring in. So, uh, and of course, being March, as we might move on now and talk, we're not going to talk about March Madness. We might sort of push that forward to next week because I know I haven't caught a lot of games um, today. I did catch a bit of Iowa State's game because I've got. Uh, I've got um, Diop Bates. He's a guy that I've been tracking because I think he might be in the range for the Spurs. So he had a, a decent game today. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm at at the moment with San Antonio. Unfortunately, uh, Milwaukee, not much to worry about with their draft pick, but we won't get into that nowadays, even though I know you did want to talk about the Milwaukee-Orlando game, but I think we might run out of time to, to cover that one. But um, just in terms of what we wanted to do was, I guess, go back and look at the draft class of this year because it's been one of the best draft classes that I can remember um, in the many, many years I've been watching the NBA. And can you remember a better overall draft class? Just 
not not from the point of view of obviously, you know, in years to come we might look back and say actually it wasn't that great, but just in terms of having an impact in year one uh, for a draft class. It, it's not even close. I can't even, not this deep, not this many. Look, I think even the 16 draft is surprisingly turning out to be a little bit better than we thought, you know, with Simmons, Ingram, Jalen Brown, you know, Chris Dunn finally has a perhaps a bit of a career buddy healed. You know, Jamal Murray's had a really good season. Mark Chris has gotten fat. Portal, Sabonis, you know, Torian Prince scored 35 today. So, you know, the 16 class is, you know, a little bit of depth, but they're nowhere near what this 17 class is in terms of both production and, and upside. And, and, yeah, this was, a, this was a topic, wasn't it, back in, in September, October, when the season kicked off was, you know, this very hyped class. And by the end of that first month, we thought, holy cow, it's um, – you hope they don't all hit the rookie wall, and some have. You know, Luke Kennard, I think, hit a bit of a rookie wall. Um, but um, no, is the short answer to your question. Not this deep, not this many. When you've got the Kuzmas down at twenty-seven, in addition to the, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven of the top fifteen picks have all played twelve hundred minutes this season. Right? That's impressive. Just getting the opportunity to play as well. So. Super yeah, then, fun. then you look at a guy like Van Vliet, who we spoke about before, wasn't even drafted, but I guess he's technically part of this That's class. Right. He's he's going to play a big big role in this yeah. final potential in the NBA finals. And, and number forty eight, right? It's in Darius Thornwell. You know, he's playing he's he's playing bigger minutes now and played some really interesting crunch time rotations for Doc Rivers um in the Houston game. He played some he played some tough minutes and some in some big moments. That that means something, right? You know, Sterling Brown from my Bucks, you know, down middle, pick number forty-six is, you know, yes, there's been a rash of injuries, but he's played, you know, he's played like a, you know, like a baby Jimmy Butler, just nothing, no moments too big. He's super tough. You know, Dylan Brooks is going to play two thousand minutes this year, down at number forty-five. So, um, yeah, even the middle of the second round, tons and tons of guys playing. Jawan Evans, you know, the guy we liked playing good minutes and. You know, Semi Ojale getting some more minutes now with Boston and just on and on and on. There's just players making an impact. Frank Mason, a little favorite of yours up in Sacramento, you know, playing some backup point guard now to Darren Fox. He was picked, you know, what, 30, 34th, you know, top of the second round. So I, this is, I guess, the maybe this is where the NBA knows, knows it needs to head, you know, with the everyone blew their wad and up against the cap. And now they're hoarding their second-round picks, and they go, God, if we have any chance to improve our team, you know, with internal development, we're going to need to draft some players who can play and give them a chance. So I think part of me as well is this is a – because there's so many, it's a bit of a league-wide trend. Right? We're going to have to find guys on minimum contracts and, and rookie contracts to make contribution because we're so – pardon me, we're so open to, the, you know, above the cap and around the tax that we can't just get – you know, a min, you know, min contract players. You know, look, would you rather have Fred Van Veed or Derek Rose, right? Would you rather have Sterling Brown or you know, Rajon Rondo? Well, the comp you know, is so, really Van Vliet or Corey Joseph. Or Corey Joseph, right? Yeah, exactly. Because that's, that's exactly right. the player that he's replaced in yeah. uh, for Toronto, and he's doing a better job. And you know, and that's not to say I love 
Corey Joseph, but um, Van Vliet's been fantastic this year. But it's also, I guess it's about, give, you're right, it's about giving these guys an opportunity and maybe they've been given more opportunities than what they probably, a lot of these rookies would have been given. And I guess maybe there's also an element where the coaching's getting better, the development's getting better from a lot of these teams. I mean, you even look, I'm looking just at the first round, so you've got Josh Hart's had, had some good moments there in the Lakers. We've always spoken about Kuzma. Um, another guy is Harry Giles. He hasn't played this year, but I know from what I've read, Sacramento are actually quite excited about how he's been developing and his general health, because that was a big question mark. So they're thinking he's going to make an impact next year. He may be a player to watch. Uh, Tyler Lydon's had some moments um, at Denver, and Anobi, who was spoken about in New Times. Jared Allen, if you ever get a chance, just YouTube Jared Allen Dunks this yeah, year. Yeah, he's fun. That guy yeah. just jumps out of the gym. Uh, John Collins, he might be Atlanta's best player <laughs> right at the moment. Um, yeah. Justin Jackson's looked good at times for Sacramento. Uh, Look, you, and you, you skipped over DJ Wilson's played 60 minutes this year, <laughs> which is pretty awesome, you know? Jason Kidd, Jason Kidd said at the draft, he goes, oh, this is a, probably a harbinger for his getting fired. He goes, yeah, DJ Wilson, he'll fit right in. He hates rebounding too. That's what he said. And you heard all the Milwaukee reports go, what? And just like, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, DJ is a really skilled player, you know, so sorry. <laughs> you talked about Matt Bonner. I'm going to talk about DJ Wilson. DJ, well, I did, yeah, there was a reason. I, I skipped over him and TJ Leaf. He's a piece a of junk. <laughs> TJ <laughs> Leaf we hated, right? We, had, we hated, we hated Leaf. that pick at the time. Uh, we, we hated Swanigan. He hasn't played either, so. Look, we were actually pretty good in our, you know, our Monday morning quarterback analysis of the of the draft. I think we we were pretty good, Daz. Right? We knew Dennis Smith was going to go, you know, all video game, you know, high usage, terrible efficiency, and he's with a lot of highlights, and that's what he's done. I think we probably underestimated. I underestimated Markinen. I didn't think he'd play this well. Um, and even been, Josh, Jack- really Josh Jackson hasn't been as horrible. Right, Josh Jackson oh. hasn't been as horrible as he was. If Josh Jackson to... was in a better franchise, he'd be a totally different player. Totally different well, I'd, player. I'd have to look at splits. I haven't. Uh, so, I, I, but I would bet that his his February and March have been way better than his November and December, which is saying something, right? It's not saying a lot, but it does say something about the dumpster fire that perhaps there's there's something that's not totally horrific, which is if they can make a player out of Josh Jackson. You know, then they they might, you know, they might salvage, you know, a uh, an edible rat from that dumpster fire. But um, well, the big awesome. question obviously yeah. still is Markel Fultz at, at number one. So let's, you know, it, it'd be a yeah. shame to say, to look back on this draft and say what a great draft, and then look at the number one pick and say that because the way it's trending at the moment is the biggest bust in NBA history. Well, uh, uh, he, well Anthony Bennett is still in close yeah but Bennett look but, at that draft that's not a good draft it's a well it's not a good draft as it wasn't a high opportunity cost but the fact they traded up for it mm. that's that's what makes him so context matters and that that they gave up another first rounder to get him and then the circumstances it's not like he's you know overwhelmed or, or um, you know or overmatched it's just well imagine if they traded what, down and got Donovan Mitchell yeah, fuck, or like we said, or De'Aaron Fox or Laurie Markkinen or, or, or imagine De'Aaron Fox on that team. Stay where you're at. Draft Fox. 
right? A high energy, super fast playmaker. No, I don't love him, right? I don't love him next to um, Ben Simmons. Who That's the thing. The ball, I think but... Mitchell's better fit next to Simmons. Well, yeah, as well, someone who can shoot from from deep, how I didn't say Markkinen's a better fit next to Simmons. Imagine Embiid and Markkinen, Ooh. you know, as you mm. fucking send send Saric to the G League and or flip Saric for a future <laughs> second round. I hate his game. But, yeah, look, that's going to haunt. That will be the defining of all the things that Colangelo has done. That's going to be his defining move is how he's, you know, it will be his defining move. Well, let's see. Let's hope he comes out in the summer league next year and looks like a, the, the player that they thought they had drafted. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna end as on a question without notice for you. It's a bit of a tough one. Uh, and it sort of relates to the draft, I guess. And if you can sort of put yourself in it, one of the things I love to do when we talk about NBA is compare eras, even though it's a very difficult thing to do. And I, I was thinking back to the sort of to 2000 to 2010 era and just how much the game has changed even from that era to what we're in now. And what the question without notice is to you, if you're drafting, in the next draft, let's say you're drafting for the Hawks, who really have no building blocks. So you don't care. what this, You're not worried about what position you're getting. You're just trying to look the best player to build around. Which of these players, how would you rank these players, the best five players, at least in my opinion, from that 2000 to 2010, in terms of their fit into today's NBA? Okay? So the five players I'm going to give you are Tim Duncan, KB Bryant, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Garnett. Who are you taking first in today's NBA to build your team around from those five players? So this is a theoretical. They're all available in the. Well, let's say draft. a scout comes yeah. to you and they're saying, "What are yeah. the comps?" And these are the five comps he gives. And let's say that this is going to be accurate. This is going to be their. Well, I'll, I'll go process of elimination. It's definitely not Kobe. The high usage. Low efficiency, can't shoot from three, ball hog, ball stopper. So he's the first one to eliminate. Um, I'd even say I'd probably, as much as you hate to say, you'd almost eliminate Tim second, wouldn't you, Timmy D, as if you knew he'd be that Hall of Fame efficient from around the rim. But if you're just talking taking a gamble on the upside, you know, Timmy D had the lowest floor of any prospect in a long time. And again, back to the basket, but it's he's just hard because you kind of go, would you have Timmy D or Dirk? Yeah, you'd rather have Dirk, wouldn't you? So just by process of elimination, I kind of eliminate Timmy second. I'd then probably eliminate Nash third, only because right the way the game is going is it's, you know, you've got more more unicorns. Stevie Nash will never be confused for a, for a Chris Paul type defender, and you can see teams, you know, perhaps compete without. Um, they can have a really, really good point guard without a superstar and probably compete. Um, so that leaves me with Dirk and KG, and I'd probably say I'd probably go KG because if he's isn't he your dream stretch five where he can rim protect and he can run and he can face up. So I go that for me is like my utopia next to Giannis is a stretchy five, you know, like KG Dirk. Is probably close second, right? Because he's got he's so he's so versatile and he can shoot the three. Um, but he's he's just a lot better version of Kevin Love, really, isn't he? So maybe I should have eliminated Dirk earlier. But I'm going KG 
actually. He's my dream ultimate, penultimate, stretchy five who can protect the rim. I go, that's exa- that's your dream player. That's your unicorn. Yeah, I guess the question is, would he, well, would he need to stretch his range out to three-point land uh, in today's games? Because he know Dirk could, nah. could do it. No, because that's my Boogie Cousins argument where I go, Boogie Cousins from 17, you know, is just as effective as Boogie Cousins from 22. And I want him, I want him in the high post and I want him shooting. But right. So that's why I think KG, because remember, he's got that off the bounce. He's got a little bit of face up game. He's got that awesome little fadeaway that that jumper he shot. And he can elevate over the top of you. I go just the fact that he can, he can, he can spot up. Um and face up the basket, but I'm I'm going because of the, the dual threat, right? So he may not be the three point threat, but it's because he can face up and he can shoot jumpers and he can defend, he can protect the rim. Daz, his defense, right, was otherworldly defense. Like that is super super valuable in the era of right Clint Capella and and James Harden. Give me fucking Kevin Garnett as my five defending those guys, right? You want to see Houston's efficiency go down at the rim? Give me KG. Whilst at the other end, he can shoot 17 footers and pull, you know, pull, pull Capella and, and stuff from the hoop. So, that's an awesome question. Who would you, so? Who, who were you thinking? Well, I was thinking be... the same. And the, the thing where I was, I thought it was really interesting. If you were going to say, if I had asked the question differently, and said to you, rank those five in terms of who was the best players, I think you would have had the inverse order just about. Like you probably, well, I would certainly say Duncan won. Um, Oh, would you say Kobe too? I hate Kobe's game, but I think you've got to give him credit where credit's due for the titles he won and things like that. Then Nash, then Nowitzki, then KG. Yeah, probably. That's how I'd probably do it. But if you're looking at today's game and saying whose game's going to convert the best, I probably would have had Dirk a bit higher, but then again, Dirk, not a great defender. Um, See, so Garnett brings Dirk's the always best been of... slow, right? Yeah, Dirk he brings the best of Duncan slow. and Dirk in, in some respects. Yeah. Yeah, look, I guess he, I guess I was looking at the speed and athleticism, right? So that's kind of that's the that's the athlete in this, the games that are in played in the one twenties all the time, right? If this was a slower paced era, then that's why that's my only downgrade on on Timmy because he has a he had a face up game as well, didn't he? So he's probably even a better, much better back to the basket post game than K- KG. So that for me was a two tiny ticks wide to take KG is just the just his ability to run. And his ability, I guess, is to step out a little bit further and, and face face the basket and at, at pace. But yeah, you're probably right. Nash probably fits third. It's hard not to have a you know a fifty forty ninety guy, right? I like, go, you know, that's that's Im- well. Nash was such a great shooter, and I think he would have just shot more threes in today's game, and so his numbers probably but he's more bloated. In, with completely different artistic impression, he's kind of Kyrie, isn't he? In a way, he's kind of the—he's not the distributor that Kyrie yeah. is, but that's, that for me is the because you know a little bit weak on defense. He doesn't have the range of a of a Curry, but he's kind of Kyrie like um, uh, needs a lot of you know needs the Sean Marion, you know needs the Al Horford next to him to almost justify his existence. Um, yeah, I don't think you, on his own you, he can impact no. as much as what a, a Garnett could yeah. uh, or even a Dirk could um, in that. So I, I, I'm pretty much in line with you. I think it would be Garnett, Dirk, Nash, Duncan, Kobe. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm with you. 
Kobe, interesting. Would would Kobe have modified his game to fit better with uh, today's NBA? I'm not sure. That's that's I guess the thing well, that you have to. My have to ask my, my reverse question, without any notice and any preparation, is: Would you same question? Would you rather have Magic, Isaiah, or Bird in today's NBA? Uh, I'll take Magic every time. Uh, oh, would you? No matter. But I I I think Bird. To me, be Magic Bird, Isaiah. You'd take Magic over Bird, would you? I'd still take he, Magic he wasn't over a, Bird. He wasn't a good shooter. Magic. He's, I guess he's like your he's like your Simmons, I guess, isn't he? Just much more much more skilled. Because he was a terrible shooter for most of his career. Yeah. Well, Bird, see. So Bird, you know, in today's three, I mean, he was considered a big three-point shooter. What did he use to shoot 60 a season? So... Um, in what today's obviously in percentages, yeah. Today's his numbers. Imagine what his numbers would look like in today's NBA. Um, oh, you know, yeah. So I get the point, but I just I, I love Magic's game so much. So I'd always I always revert to Magic. I'm a little bit biased there. So probably not the best player to ask me about because he's one of my favourite players. Oh, okay. My favourite player. Look, it is of all time. If you were to again a statistical question without notice. How many three-pointers do you think Bird averaged attempts over his career per game? So how many three-pointers per game did Larry Bird average? Oh, I would think it was 1.7 or something, I'd say. It's pretty low, I would think. So just by comparison, Harden has averaged over his career, over his career, right, 6.6 attempts. <laughs> He's at 10 attempts this year, which is nuts, right? Yeah, Um Larry Bird averaged 1.9 attempts per season, not even two a game. Sorry, per, per game, not even two per game. And that would have been had, inflated two, towards three, the end of his career too, I would imagine. Totally inflated towards the end of his career. It was three, 2.6, 3.3, and 2.8 the last three years of his career. Yeah, he he'd had one, two, three seasons where he never even averaged one a game for for an entire season. And uh, oh, so you anyway. watch them old games. I mean, I watch some of the the hardwood classics on um, NBA TV, and you watch some of those games, and it is really is like they're playing a different sport. Like they just don't bother. The only time they'd shoot a three is if it was the end of the shot clock. It was collapsed. Someone like Everything will, will be threes out yeah. there, and everyone just goes, "This guy's a freak. Why is he shooting threes?" <laughs> So yeah. that was the only time you'd see it. Just it just wouldn't happen, you know. I think in the in the nineteen eighty three finals, I think they shot like two threes in the entire series. So Jesus, it just crazy, completely, completely different game. Um, but you know, you talk to look some of the others. Popovich still says he he doesn't even think there should be a three point line. He just says the aim of the game is to put the ball in the basket. He said, why don't we have a four point line, a five point line, if you want to start going out there so um there's still some old school guys out there who don't, don't like it there's an old, some old school guy it's not guys <laughs> it's guy it's, it would be less than zero percent chance with the popularity of the league and the way this is attracted right with the beauty right is this is that's thinking the longer range question here is that i think it'd be I, we have to pick a metric, but is there more talent in the league, right? More upside talent in the league now today, where they've relaxed the hand checking. You don't need to be six foot eight, and right if you can, 
You can, you can shoot the balls. You can have a career. So I think there's just no way this trend is going to reverse. Oh, not no for way. a while. Not no for way. a while. Yeah, not for a while. I don't like the idea of the four-point four line. I think that's going. I think it's a fucking awful. That's gimmicky. That's. Stupid. I think where where Steph Curry's been so great for the league is it has opened possibilities where guys who probably didn't think they were going to be basketballers now everyone thinks they can be a basketballer. That's right. You know, and the, I right. guess the, the the problem with that can be, and um, you know, you hear it from some of the junior coaches as they're coming through. Everyone wants to shoot like him, so people are taking what is really are bad shots. I mean, he takes a lot of bad shots that aren't bad shots because he's Steph Curry. So that's the balance, I guess, we've got to find when when you're developing players going forward uh, to just make sure you're still instilling the right habits, um, which Steph Curry does have generally but of course he can just hit circus shots that most other players can't well 10 years ago well even seven years ago we're going to see a guy go in the lottery this year called trey young trey young from oklahoma right in college he's going to get drafted really really high because he's what six foot one and has ridiculous range he's going to have steph and buddy healed range and he's got a bit of a you know that sort of that steph swagger about him with the ball in his hands and the way he play makes in college. So 10 years ago, Trey Young's not getting drafted. He's just not. Mm. So slowly, slowly, but surely, right. The, the six foot one, six foot two undersized guys who can shoot from, from 25 feet are going to keep seeing, uh, they're going to get run. So, well, I've read anyway. a bit about Trey Young. Apparently there's a bit of Matt Bonner about his game as well, does So, there's a bit of what Matt Bonner about There's a bit it. Yeah, of Matt Bonner he's, about his yeah, game as well. He's super, super tough and really, really white. <laughs> Even though he's, yeah, I don't know. I, why more Matt Bonner? No, please. Well, just yeah. I thought we started on Matt Bonner. We should end on Matt Bonner. So uh, yeah. we might leave it there, Dad. We'll see where we where we end up. Uh, next week, obviously, we're still watching the Western Conference playoff race. We'll see if uh, maybe the Clippers and the Nuggets can pull themselves back into um, the playoff race. Then we might have, hopefully, you'd have Steph Curry back um, by some miracle. Maybe Kawhi Leonard is back as well by next week. Uh, we'll sort of have an update on which uh, tank if Tankathon teams the Bucks lose to this week uh, as well, <laughs> just to further uh, pile on the misery. <laughs> They ground out a victory against by five against Atlanta at home. They only just squeaked by. Uh, Look, we got some interesting games tomorrow. As a matter of fact, four really interesting games. OKC at Toronto. Again, I love the uncommon East-West matchup. Um, Boston's at New Orleans. That's at least interesting. Now that Boston's a bit depleted. Um, and then Houston at Minnesota. Two teams coming off of back-to-backs. Houston was in New Orleans today. And then they're you know flying out to up to Minnesota. Well, Houston is starting the rest players as well, so that's just something to, to keep an eye on. So they might be a bit right. more vulnerable in some of those back-to-back games. So let's see who's got some who's got the gut check there in the second night of a back-to-back. Minnesota obviously got bombed by San Antonio today, and then Portland against the scrappy Clippers team. The poor Clippers have just run into this really really difficult schedule, but they're playing really well, Daz. I'm not sure if you've. I happened to see them twice this week against OKC and Houston. I just talk about Sacramento. Look, Doc Rivers before he became GM was a pretty, you know, pretty well reputed coach, and you're seeing him coach, and it's 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 hard not to like how they're playing basketball, Daz. So if, if you have a chance, I think tune in and watch some watch some Clippers, and I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Well, they're I'm playing a, some pretty tight. Well, I haven't yeah. watched one minute of them since they traded Blake. I think I might have watched a little bit of the Detroit. 
Uh, I like him better. That's crazy. I like him better. It's you know, it's a yeah, bit it of John Wall effect. That they're they're yeah. a better they're a better team necessarily without him, but I still think there's there's still that factor where you just there's no excitement. In, in oh, you know, it's I don't know. I guess it depends on your metric. I do like sort of the Cinderius Thornwall and Jawan Evans and you know the mystery of Lou Williams and you know Sam Decker and Matrez Harrell getting a bit of a run. It's just a shame because they're actually they're literally one Avery one healthy Avery Bradley from from being, you know, a competent defensive team um, to win these couple of games. But um, anyway, Portland, Italy at the Clippers tomorrow. We'll see if... Portland, they're a good we'll watch at the moment. So I'll certainly, um, if I get a chance, yeah. I'll, I'll check into that because I've been enjoying watching And then the two Blazers. teams, then on, on, um, on Tuesday, we got a couple desperation games with the Bucks at Cleveland. And then you've got uh, Golden State at San Antonio. That should be interesting to see who... The, the battle of attrition in that game. Well, I think Golden State yeah. is still going to be missing KD, Clay, and Steph. So if San Antonio don't win that one, uh, we might want to bring out the the Undertaker yeah. and read the last rights on their season because that, that's, a, that's a game they absolutely have to take. I mean, that's almost a tankathon level game at the moment. Almost. And... All right, buddy. All right, Des. Good to talk to you again, mate. And we'll, we'll catch up again next week. See you, pal. Thanks. Bye.